welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. We're, um, we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And as you turn there in the program today, just a reminder, there, you can open that up and there's sermon notes on the inside. And also, if you have a smartphone, um, if you have a smartphone, um, if you, you can download the, the Bible app called YouVersion. If you have that, you simply click on it. And then down the lower right-hand side of the screen, there's three little bars. You click onto those three little bars, and there's a sort of a menu that comes up. And the, the uh, third one is called Events. You press Events, and at the very top comes up Grace Assembly of God. You hit Grace Assembly of God, and the message, the sermon notes are there, and you can, you can uh, add the notes as you go along. And I particularly like this because... What I put on my, uh, on my smartphone stays there, and the other things, I just, I don't know what happens to it. I forget it, I lose it, I do something. It, uh, you know how paper things are. So just take a, I encourage you to use that. And then at the end of the service today, we're going to be doing communion together, and we also have prayer teams that will be here. They'll, they'll be to my right and my left, and I want to encourage you to uh, come and be prayed for. These are prayer teams that we know, that we trust. They've been trained, and they, they will, they're here. We're just here to, to help you, to pray for you, to help connect you with God. And uh, the Lord is here. God's here to minister to us. Aren't you glad? Praise his name. Amen. Today we end in the series of uh, in Nehemiah called Living the Best Life. We could also put there living the, the blessed life, if you would. But living the best life is a life that only God can give us through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for it. Today, I want to ch- uh, share with you from Nehemiah 13 on champions. Champions for God. Champions for God. Keep it clean. Champions make the difference. But as Nehemiah also knew that champions cannot do it alone. I want to share a story with you, um, being a guy and raised and in a day when we didn't have uh, a lot of screen time. In fact, we didn't have a television until we, I think, were 10 years old. We just didn't have one. And uh, so that meant that we played a lot. We built tree houses. We, uh, we played army. We played uh, whatever, Cowboys and Indians, we, we, we were outside all the time. My mother's motto was, you need to be outside breathing fresh air. And when I holler for you, then it's supper time, and you better not be late for the supper table, which she never had to worry about. We were all there. And I just read a thing in the Baltimore Sun that the American Association of uh, Pediatrics are saying how important play is, how important play is to children and uh, in, it's through play that they learn to interact and problem solve and how to be civil towards each other and how to be social. And I, I'm not going to get on a big rabbit trail, but we have noticed this, and, and our daughters were talking about the other day, 
that so many times when their children, our grandchildren, are on the screen, when they get off the screen, they are not nearly as cooperative as if they, as if they are uh, when they're without that. And so uh, that's just, just something there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off that rabbit trail right now. So, but anyway, we played a lot outside, and, and uh, our, our parents didn't think in terms of being risk-free. They just let boys be boys. And so I had quite a few trips to the doctor where they sewed me up. I have a number of scars um, and knife cuts and slices and saw cuts and, and uh, jumping down places. They said, don't jump, and ended up with several stitches in my knee and, and all those things. And so uh, I, got, I got used to those things, and, and uh, they do it right in the doctor's office. And no special precautions. I'm just assuming he's washed his hands, you know, things like that, but nothing special. But uh, 13 years ago, this Christmas, I had a, a, a major fall here in church on Sunday morning. And I ended up in the most embarrassing position. I stepped on some steps and um, they collapsed. Uh, someone had forgot to put in, there's a safety bin, forgot to do it. And I said, Merry Christmas, God bless you, have a wonderful day. Made one step, and I ended up right there. My wife was right there. What an embarrassing situation. And I had absolutely cut all the quad, the, the entire quad right across here, just above my knee. And so um, that required uh, a trip in the ambulance to Upper Chesapeake on Christmas Day, and then on Tuesday, they had a, a surgeon who was an outstanding orthopedic surgeon. And uh, I knew that things were really, really serious uh, the way that they prepared. And the surgical team, if you're familiar with that at all, the, the scrubbing and the, the cleansing and the mask and the sterilization of the equipment and of the room and the bright lights so they can see everything is, is all in favor of the patient, and so the surgical team, and particularly the surgeon, can do their best job, what they've been trained to do. And he did something uh, to my knee. He called it later, called it the gold standard, how they wove the muscles together, and they sewed them with some type of wire. That was called the gold standard. And, uh, and then they gave me a bulb that I could, um, had morphine in it, and I could squeeze that thing for the pain. And that was on a Tuesday. Uh, that following week, I remembered, uh, I recall this, that there was, it really was painful. After the shock wears off, and I squeezed that sucker, that bulb, I, I was just frantic with that. And, and, and it, didn't, it didn't, nothing happened. But fortunately, he had on the following Tuesday, a follow-up. I went back to his office. They wanted to examine the all the, the, the sutures to make sure there was no uh, undue infections, make sure everything was healing. And I said to him, Doc, I don't know what, is there something else you could give me because this pain is unbearable and this bulb, I don't know, I think I've used everything up, but it's just not working. He looked at it and he said, well, that's because it's not operating. It's not dispensing what it's supposed to. Um, and, I, and so this man, this champion, this champion could only do his best work when, when everything was possibly, it was clean and sterilized and cleansed and scrubbed 
And then he had follow-up to make sure that what he had done, that only he could do. In that room of the surgical team, he alone was the one that was trained to do it. And then the follow-up care was, and what they instructed was to make sure that that wound would heal. Now, the good news, it did heal. I was in rehab for 15 months. It was a long time. Couldn't drive. I had to sit. You've heard me tell the story. My wife drove. I had to sit in the back seat of the car. That was like 40 months long at least. I know it was 40 months at least. That was four months long, and that's a hard thing for a guy like myself to, you know, let someone else drive. And my wife says I'm the worst backseat driver in the world. I'm guilty, I'm sure. God calls us as champions, and he called Nehemiah to be a great champion for God, but regardless of how skillful we are, regardless of how great a job we, can, we do, it requires follow-up and follow-through to maintain and to ensure that what God does in our life and what God does through our life, that it remains. And in this chapter 13 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah ends this story with he is a great champion for God. But the scenario is this. After God had called him out of the courts of the king, he was the cupbearer, and gave him a vision of coming back and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra had come back some years earlier. They had rebuilt the temple. It had been ransacked. The treasures had been given away. Ezra came back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls, and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And because he was a great champion for God, when he came back to these to the the Jewish people, back to Palestine, back to Israel. They were were hopeless. They just felt they were downtrodden, that the enemies had overcome them, and that was going to be their future from now on. But Nehemiah came back because God had put it in his heart to do something for Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. And so we are encouraged as we look through the book of Nehemiah at what God uses to give us our best life and to build our best life. So for instance, chapter two, he went back and the walls had been destroyed. He looked it out. He was this champion for God all by himself in the middle of the night so that no one else could really see and, and, and deter his mind, his perspective. But he came back and he gathered the nobles and the leaders together and said, this is what God has put in my heart. And I know it looks hopeless and I know it looks desperate, but with God's help, we can do this. And his faith and courage as a champion, because champions will speak faith and courage, the nobles responded and said, let us arise and build. And so they put their hand to the task. Then we find in chapter three and next to the great strength of community and why we need each other in the body of Jesus Christ. If you read that chapter, chapter 3, and the word next to is used 25 times at least there. And even the goldsmiths and the jewelers, they were on the scaffolding with their, their fine artisan hands. They were, now, they were now picking up heavy rocks and they were setting big heavy doors and timbers and even their daughters were working alongside of them. They'd have a sword in one hand, they'd have a trowel in the other, but after 54 days, they built approximately one half a mile. That's from here to Oak Grove, to Shucks Road. They, built the, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, the, the, the part that had been torn down. 
And then as we go through uh, that, we see in chapter 4 that uh, they continue to have these en- this enemy called Tobiah and Sanballat. How many remember Tobiah and Sanballat? They were jealous of them, and they would, they would write letters to the king that said, look, you've given this guy, uh, you, you've let him come back, uh, king, you've let him come back from your court, uh, you've appointed him as governor, but you don't know what he's doing. He's rebuilding Jerusalem, so they're going to be in rebellion against you, and you better stop him now. And it, you remember in chapter 3, Nehemiah stood before uh, Sambalat and Tobiah, and they're talking to him up on the wall. And I love what Nehemiah said. He said, I can't come down. And then he said, why should I come down and neglect so great a work for God? What a heart of a champion. And in chapter 4, they came back again, but the people responded and they said, and we prayed. Chapter 5, Pastor Bobby preached upon there was trouble in the body where the nobles weren't doing, some of them weren't doing their part, and there was trouble and there was conflict. And, and uh, what we saw there, that God has a godly way of resolving conflict in the body and the church of Jesus Christ so they can move forward. And whenever a church is in conflict and it's not dealt with, and it'll, it'll take that church down. How many know what I'm talking about? And so conflict is part of what goes on because we're people, but how we handle it makes all the difference in the world. And then in chapter 6, chapter 6, as they continue to move on, that was, uh, I'm sorry, that was chapter 5 and 6. Chapter 7 and 8, the walls are built, conflict is handled, and then we titled this, After the City, the Citizens. And Nehemiah set about now repopulating the citizens and bringing spiritual reforms to their lives. And then in chapter, uh, in chapter 9 and, and chapter 9, Pastor Daniel preached a sermon on confession because they stood before Ezra. Remember Ezra? And they asked him in chapter 8, they asked him to read the law and they celebrated, but some wept. And Nehemiah said, no, today is a day of rejoicing. But they took an oath to themselves to begin to live by the word of God and be the people of God, to be the the citizens of this city of God. And then in chapter 10, last week, uh, there was further reforms of consecration and separation and obligation and how relationship with God changes everything in our lives so that we no longer look at God as, I don't know, uh, it could be he's a big sheriff up in the air, uh, he's God's policeman. Um, you know, when we were kids, I don't know, my parents never taught us this, and I have no idea where this came from, but I do know I watch kids today, if, at some, and we'd see a policeman up in rural Maine where we were, and we'd say, hi, get down. Now, don't tell me what that was about. Uh, kids come by that stuff naturally. You know what I'm talking about. But we look at authority that way, and sometimes we can grow up and we look at God in a way that he's this big sheriff and he's just waiting for us to get out of line. And so if we can just avoid his gaze, that we'll be okay. But what we saw in Nehemiah chapter 10, that when we have an encounter with the living God who loves you, 
This God is the God of perfect light and of love and of eternity and made you in his image. And, and, and he sent his son because he loved us to die for us that we could come into the family of God and have the life that he gives for us. When we have that encounter with the living God, it changes everything. Everything changes. We no longer see him as the big sheriff in the sky. We see him and we know him for what he is, the God of love, the God of light, the God of all gods, the one who's the righteous judge of all the earth, and we've now been brought into the family of God. Praise his name. That was chapter 10. After chapter 10, Nehemiah goes back to Babylon, back to the king's court. He was a very talented difference maker. He was a champion for God. He went back there, and then he came. After so many years, he wanted to go home. Jerusalem was his home. The king allowed him to come home. I, 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 just, I just happened to speak with somebody uh, prior to the, the service today, and I said, man, I, I've missed you guys, and I, I know where they sit, but sometimes it's easy to lose people in the crowd, and they, and, but I also know where he's from. And he said, well, what happens in the summertime when the kids are out of school? Basically, they go up near home. They have a place there. And if I'd asked this morning how many how many were born in Harford County and your parents are born in Harford County? Raise your hand. Let me see. How many are born? Okay, we got one. Who else? One, Bob, Joyce. Who else was born in Harford? John, that's three. Who? How, there's going to be hundred. Yeah, Bob, John, Joyce. Out of all the people that are here, really home is somewhere else. You know what I'm talking about. Now, you're raising your family here. This is home, but I have a home in northeastern Pennsylvania. When we go home, we go to my mom and dad's house. And, and, but don't worry. We love it here. We've got our burial plots. They're already bought here. This is where we're going to be buried. And if I have my way, we're going to take that digital sign, and we're going to put it right on the, both of our things. Forget that expensive headstone or that bronze thing. My goodness, have you seen how much those that piece of metal costs? We're going to put Grace Assembly of God. All right, Pastor Emeritus forever, right here. All right, take that. There you go. So Nehemiah asked to go home. He wanted to go home and check up on how they'd been doing. It was so grateful to God. They said, we're going to live by the word of God, and we're not going to marry foreign wives, and we're going to keep the Sabbath, and we're going to, we're going to support the house of God through the tithes and the offerings. And, and he left them, and they were strong, and they're doing well. And he came back after uh, something as 10, 12 years, something like that. It had been quite an interval. And what he found, what he found was the exact opposite of what he anticipated. So this great champion for God in Nehemiah 13, he takes one final stand. And with my life, with my life and with your life, I want us to be known that we, when it's all said, we've taken one final stand to make sure that the work of God goes forward the way it's supposed to go forward. So he takes a stand in chapter 13. Today I want to talk with you about being a champion for God. And how it's so important that just like the surgeon can only do what he can do, but he must have a, he must keep the environment clean. He must constantly follow up to make sure the surgery and the healing takes place. God calls you and me to be champions for God 
But it's not a one-and-done type of deal. It's a lifetime of living for the Lord, of constant follow-up and saying, Lord, what next? And follow through to make sure that what God has done remains so and on course. Champions for God, keep it clean. And they're ever diligent, so their work will remain. God put it in my heart in 1991 to plant a church. It would later become Grace Assembly of God. What he put in my heart was to plant a great church for him, a champion church. That's what he put in my heart. And we've given ourselves to that. A church that would bless the generations in Harford County and the community and the, and the surrounding counties and the nations. Four things I want to share with you. Champions for God keep it clean in their relationships. They keep it clean in the house of God. They keep it clean with their stewardship or their finances, and they keep it clean on their watch. Let's get into God's Word. Nehemiah 13, verses 1 and 3 says this. On the day... On that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Hey, assembly of God mentioned even back in the Old Testament. Someone said to me once, they said, assembly of God, that's a weird name. And they're another uh, church name. And uh, I said, it's not weird. You just don't know the Word of God. That's right in the Old Testament, just like Church of God and other things. All right, I digress. So he came back, and he found it was written that no Ammonite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. What had happened, he went back. And they were marrying back, they were marrying people from the surrounding cultures who had values that were, that were opposing to God. How many know that when you marry a person, you just don't marry a person, you marry their family? How many have found that out? All right, come on, one, one brave soul, two, all right, three, look at God's moving, hands up all over the place, all right, they, when you marry someone, you just don't marry that person. You marry their family. Because marriage is a process of bending and blending together. If you're going to get along, you have to bend and you have to blend. The problem is the Israelites were marrying to the Ammonites who were historic enemies of Israel who served other gods. And their serving other gods was compromising their faith. And the values of those cultures around them begin to compromise the people of God and the ways of God. In fact, there's a, there's a lesson for us here that if we are to be champions for God, we must keep it clean in our relationships. Keep it clean in our relationships who we're going to be intimate with. And I don't mean... When I say intimate, intimately is not just something used in a marriage term, but intimate, who we're going to share our heart with, who we're going to share our life with. What gods, what other gods are they serving? Who are they serving? Because it makes a difference. Ultimately, 
And sooner or later, values of a culture will become facts. And even in our culture today, we're seeing that things that are taking place that are such an affront and so anti-God and his love and that make no sense are now becoming facts, not just values, but facts in our culture. That if you speak against that, it's as though you're speaking against a fact when it's only a value. A man that's one of my favorite authors, Henry Newbegin, said that the mistake of it started in the 18th century Christianity they, was to domesticate the gospel to fit the reigning plausibility structure. And I've quoted him before. That means the reigning value system around them. This decision left God out of the equation and led to values that became the facts of their life. I just read, I, I was, it, it blew me away. God made male and female in his image. How many, how many know that? Yes, yes. God made male and female in his image. We have gone so far from God. The state of California, listen to this. I, I just, I, I, it boggles me. Is There's a law right now on, uh, on uh, Governor Jerry Brown's desk that it looks like he's going to sign that the state of California will mandate what the gender orientation should be of publicly owned corporations. Now, I have no problem with male and female serving. I don't care. Have all, all male, all female. I don't care. That's a, that's a, <laughs> do you follow what I'm saying? But, but they are saying that the value of your publicly owned corporation should be that you must do it this way. It's a value of the world that is now becoming a fact and will be law if it's signed. I'm going to back, I'm just going to back away from that for a moment. And so, in our relationships, but there's also, there's also, there's another danger, church, and that's that we can, that when the Word of God says be separate and come out from among them, we can be so afraid of the so-called world, and we want to protect ourselves and our children that rather than raising champions for God, we raise church mice. Is there an amen in the house? Sterile, risk-free, don't associate with anyone else that, is, that smells bad or looks bad or has a different color than what you are. Don't associate with anything else because they're bad and they might rub off on you. Just stay in our own little deal and come to church and make sure that, you know, what I'm, we serve and all that. But listen, God has called us to be champions for God. Nehemiah was a champion for God. Goliath was a champion for God. But it required that he would take his post and he would stand and say, this is what the Lord has said. God wants us to know that the church was meant to be a counterculture, unapologetic that our values are far different from the values of this world. The world does not accept the church as an authoritative source. It does not accept the church as an authoritative source. So now we are called that the church must live out its message and move away from explaining ourselves to explaining God to this world. Praise God. Can someone say amen? 
It's not about our church. It's not about our denomination. It's not about so many things. But what God has called you and me to do, and it makes it clear as a champion, my role in life is to live so I explain God to the people around me. In fact, Paul the Apostle said, don't you know your living epistles known and read of all men? There's people in church this morning, you've been invited because someone on the job has invited you and their life, they've, they've loved you, they've prayed for you, it's helped explain God. You said, you know, I think I can go to church this morning because of that. Church, that's what God calls us to do. Live like a champion, live to explain God. The second thing is they keep, it, they keep not only their relationships clean, but in, they keep it clean in the house of God. And so this is absolutely amazing to me. Verses 7 and 8, he said, I came to Jerusalem and I learned about the evil that Eliashib, Eliashib was the high priest, by the way, had done for Tobiah by preparing for him in the courts of the house of God a room for him. It was very displeasing to me, so I love this. I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. So this is what happened. Unholy alliances led to unholy use of the house of God. Tobiah was in the temple. The fox was in the hen house. Who'd have thought? The fox was in the hen house. The storehouse, the room, it was the storehouse, the warehouse for the sacred things, for the tithe and for the offerings and the grain where it was kept and stored. It was like a small warehouse now had been replaced by Tobiah's furniture. Tobiah, the enemy of God's people, was now living in the house of God. He was now enmeshed in the very nerve center. The mortal enemy had influence and the connections of wealthy people who were glad to see him there because the high priest, there was a marriage arrangement between the high priest and someone of Tobiah's family. Nehemiah, as a champion for God, realized that holiness is not negotiable and a personal agendas in the house of God destroy the sacredness of God's house. To be a servant in the house of God, to be a leader means that we're a servant. It does not mean that we're the, a privileged class, but it means, thank God, that we get more sacred responsibility. It doesn't mean that if, if I'm the lead pastor and, and thank, I want to say thank you for your love to me and your acceptance of me and, and all of those, but I also want to thank you that no one carries me around on a cushion. First of all, you have to be pretty strong and to be a mighty big cushion to carry me around on it. But we keep it real. No personal agendas in the house of God, whether it's cliques in the house of God or politics in the house of God or whether it's because I have a favorite thing that I want to do in the house of God and unless they do that, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be miserable because in the house of God, champions keep it clean. Jesus was a servant. He calls you and me to be a servant of the Most High God. And that means that as we serve him, we say to the Lord, oh God, spend us. Oh God, use us. Lord, help us to love your people like you love your people, but let's not take advantage of the fact that folks come, champions, see that church is not for our use, but that we are his servants for 
his use. They keep it clean in the house of God. I have people quite often that um, is interesting. And it, it's, a, it's a hard call, but uh, they call, they, they want our mailing list and all of our contacts, and we promise to give your people a 10% discount. What? No. I can't come down from this great work. I'm not going to come down to you. What salesman want, wouldn't want the contact list of hundreds and hundreds of people and families that we've assembled that love God? It's like, it's like fishing for fish in a barrel, shooting ducks on a, on a small pond. No, go get your own contacts. Trying to guilt me. Well, if you're the pastor, you want the best for them. Yeah, and my, I don't say that. I'm thinking, yeah, and you're clearly not the best, so scramez-vous. Throw Tobiah out of the temple with his furniture. Out on the sidewalk. Get away. Get out of here. These are people who love God, who serve, who are faithful. Most of you don't know, but we had a flood uh, Friday night. Well, you know we had a flood in Harford County, and... And it was one of those rare Saturdays that it was just my wife and myself, and I had a, I had a couple of hours to, to work on my message and just finish that up. And I woke up yesterday morning and said, oh, God, that's so good. I'm going to make my coffee, going to grind my beans. We're going to eat breakfast and, and you know, we the fruit, all this is so good. And I'm just going to get up. I'm going to go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be in your presence. Man, I'm feeling Sunday morning, yesterday morning. Oh, boy, you know, and, I, and it's quarter after eight, and I get a text from Jeff Denton. He said, Pastor Paul, I'm at the church right now working. There's been a flood. <laughs> I said, a flood? And uh, I, he said, I need some help. So I, I said to Chris, there's been a flood downstairs. So right away, I started calling people, and I texted people. And I didn't, I didn't have to call very many. It took me a little while, and I texted some others. And there were 12 people that showed up like that. We decided not to put out an all-church email. And they came. We got here. I got here about 9.30, and by 12 o'clock, it was taken care of. It was done. 11.30, I think, might have been. A couple hours, it was taken care of. Okay. People, champions that post, that post up. There were servants. We thank God for it. I, I want to move on to the next thing, that champions for God, they keep it clean in their finances, Nehemiah 13, 10 through 13. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away east to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. And all Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shalemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, Padiah, the Levites. In addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakor, the son of Madaniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. They keep it clean in their finances. What Nehemiah found, to much to his chagrin, 
was that the temple was once again a run-down establishment. The people had backed away from saying, yes, we want to serve God and support his house, and we're going to serve him and honor him with the tithe. And what he found was that there was a grudging attitude had crept in towards the tithe and the offerings because it was a mark of the times and of the people around them and because the leader, Eliashib the high priest, had accommodated Tobiah. And so now there was a grudging attitude towards the tithe and the offerings. I, I want to say something as your pastor this morning that a me generation will never be a champion generation for God. And I'm going to say something, and, and, and I don't, I, I, I'm going to say this, but one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to the church of Jesus Christ is after the parents and grandparents have served God the right way, that, that young people as millennials, young people, they take the baton and they stand as a champion for God. You don't have to say Amen. But whenever there's a begrudging attitude towards the house of God or the things that are holy to God, including the tithe, it comes about either because we're too self-centered or we don't trust God. In either instance, there's a real problem. How many know that trust is the very basis of a relationship? If you don't have trust in your relationship, you don't have a relationship. When the Lord says, the tithe is mine, he asks us to honor him with the tribe. I, tithe. I found that it is sacred. I found that there's such a great joy. I found that what it takes from me and what it takes from so many of you is this trust of God. There's been an encounter with God that has changed my life. My wife and I have a marriage of 40-some years that is absolutely based on trust. No violation of trust. We have our, we've had, my goodness, men are, you know, the whole Venus-Mars thing. We've had our male-female differences. But never in trusting one another. Never when it comes time and trouble that my wife has always posted up with me. I know I can always count on her. She can always count on me because trust is the very foundation. As the people of God, if you've grown up in, a, in the church and your parents have provided for you, your grandparents have provided for you, and they've paid the way, and they've paid the way, the baton is now in your hand. When you start, you earn money to begin to be faithful to the house of God. by honoring the Lord with the things that he says is holy to me. We have found in our life that it's, that this encounter with God, this encounter that shakes us, we saw, said the song, New Wine. I love that line that says this, or I think it was being introduced that Jesus doesn't come to add to our life. He comes to be our life. All in, champions posting up. 
no reserve, no regrets, no retreat. So they were, they kept it clean even in their finances. Nehemiah said, why is the house of God forsaken? What happened? The ministers, the Levites and the singers that God had called to be supported, they had to go back to farming. And how many know that most artists don't make great farmers? How many know that? Daniel, is that right? Yeah, you don't want to farm, do you? So what happened? They were back farming. And the house of God was neglected. So I'm t- I'm, this morning I'm talking with you. I'm making it real. This, is, this isn't my last sermon. Uh, one of my favorite cartoons was years ago in the old leadership, old leadership uh, journal that came out for pastors. And it showed the pastor, and it was his last day. And he said, in conclusion, there's a few things that I've been wanting to say for quite a while. And it showed the U-Haul outside with the exhaust coming out. He was going to say it, and he was going to cut and run. But we take our stand on God's word. Champions understand stewardship and that it all comes from God. We don't begrudge God and that we are blessed to use it for him and for ourselves. We trust the Lord. The last thing I want to share with you is this, that champions keep it clean on their watch. They keep it clean on their watch. He, he concludes this, and it says, Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and for the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Champions for God always lead with the next generation and the leader in mind. When, we, when God put it in, in our hearts to build to build and to expand so we can reach more. We're called it Gen Now. It's for the next generation, but they're the generation now. God put in our heart. I actually had another minister come to me and say, why are you doing this? Why are you going through the bother? Why are you going through the bother? That's like saying to a champion, why, why do you want to pay the price to win this game? Why don't you just take it easy? You're going to get paid anyway. Champions don't live for a payday. Champions live. Champions live to be used by the Lord and for a higher purpose. It's not about, not about what's uncomfortable. It's not about what's risk-free. It's not about not posting up. It's about when the bell rings, it's being there. It's about God's dumped something in our life. It's about leaving a wake of blessing. It's about leading with the next generation and the leader in mind. It's about not hiding in the shadows and letting someone else do it, but it's I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. My grandson, Jonathan, is crazy for baseball. And I think it was the first year he tried out just a couple of years ago, and, and, and uh, he's just a little dynamo. And so it was North Harford where they were living at that time, and he went out for one of the teams, and, and man, all these kids, uh, they're going, the coach said, okay, gather up, and the one said, I want to pitch, I want to pitch, I want to pitch, I want to be shortstop, I want to be shortstop, I want to do this, I want to do this, and the other, no, I want to do that, and it's all around, 
And he looked over, there's Jonathan, this little kid like this with his glove. He said, son, what, where do you want to play? He said, coach, anywhere you want to play me. That's a champion. They post up. In the house of God, a great champion in any of your family, what will make a great family is when we're champions for God. When we post up, one of the things I love to do, I, I'm blessed I have a boat, and I love to take, uh, we take some friends out and take our grandkids out. We go crabbing, and some of my favorite pictures, and upon my death, if they scroll through this, you're going to see hundreds of pictures, and they all look the same, and it's me and my boat, out on the Chesapeake Bay with the blue sky and the clouds, and it's a bright day. My green Crestliner boat with the silver 50-horsepower Honda, and I'm at the console with one of my grandchildren standing in front of me, and they're steering the boat with the white wake behind the boat. That's what you're going to see. And when you all, when my wife or whoever goes through this, oh my goodness, what, why, why, did, why was he obsessed with this picture? I don't know why. I never get tired of it. But you and I leave a wake behind us of some sort. I want to leave a wake of blessing for God. Those that come behind me find me faithful. I don't measure. There's more than measuring wealth in this world than money. And thank God that God has blessed us. We, we thank the Lord for it. I want to encourage us today every child of God to keep it clean and let's live to explain God by our lives. Let's live to explain around us and to those that are coming behind us, but let's post up and may those who come behind us find us faithful. Praise God. May that be our last stand. Champions for God, they could say they kept it clean in their lives. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, and I want to pray for you.